I am Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. I'm the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. And I am Jerusalem Greer, the Staff Officer for Evangelism in the Episcopal Church. And this is the Spade Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the ways our food intersects with our faith from seed to spade to spoon. Today, our guest is the Reverend Christopher Beasley, the Rector of St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Lebanon, Indiana. And this is an awesome, awesome opportunity for me as his bishop to be able to have the conversation that I almost always want to have with him, which is about his life serving as a priest and um, someone who oversees an amazing farm and culinary program and community engagement involving all the things that we love on this podcast, food, farm, spirituality. So um, really excited that Christopher is here today. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about him, he is a bivocational priest serving, as I said, at St. Peter's, and he's been there since 2014. He is also um, a person who works at Anthem and does all kinds of other things, which I maybe you'll say more about today, Christopher, because I don't actually know all the details of what you do. I just know that there are a lot of numbers involved with um, that insurance company. And despite having those amazing interests with church and working for Anthem, he also has a degree in meteorology and is continuing to further his studies in that field, um, taking classes even right now, getting an advanced certification in forecast meteorology through Penn State. He and his partner Kent South and their son Jacob live in Brownsburg, which is a community just on the western um, edge of Indianapolis. Welcome, Christopher. So glad you're here. Thank you, Bishop Jennifer. Thank you, Jerusalem. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's so good to have you. Um, So Christopher, let's start with a question that we ask of our guests and that we ask of each other when we begin this podcast, which is, where are you rooted? What place or community um, do you consider yourself to be rooted in? I find myself very much rooted in the community that it is at St. Peter's. You know, one of the things that attracted me to that parish was they had this amazing space um, out on the outside of town, about eight acres of land. Um, they were dabbling in some community garden work. And, you know, when I saw that and I saw the ideas and the vision that they were beginning to formulate, I, I immediately saw myself in that. I've always been somebody that loved farming, um, loved growing food. Um, I was raised on a farm in Southwest Indiana. We farmed over 800 acres of corn and soybeans growing up. So care creation has been very vital to my entire life. So that's a great um, lead into my next question. And you, you talk about, I mean, first of all, 800 acres of corn and soybeans is really different from what you're doing now. So we'll, we'll get to that. But like having grown up in that kind of environment and probably having a sense of being connected to the ground, to the soil for a long time. Can you talk about how creation nourishes your soul now? When I'm, you know, whether it's out working in the gardens, you know, preparing them in the spring, you know, pulling the weeds as the corn is beginning to emerge out of the ground, you know, it seems very tedious type of work, but it is really very calming work. And, you know, what I like about the grounds at St. Peter's is that, when people are out there, you know, our parishioners or other people from the community and they're out there volunteering with us, they feel this is a very sacred and holy place. It's a place where they say they connect with God. They come out here and pull a few weeds and they talk to God. And so being able to provide that space 
um, for people to have that experience is, is again, what draws me to this type of work. I love that. Um, so there's, there's land, people are working on the land. Are there, are there other critters as part of this work? Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, another thing, you know, especially, you know, if you're out there seven, eight o'clock at night, you know, in the spring or, or late summer, you might have some visitors. So we have a woods just to the west of our property and a nice creek that flows through it. And so the deer come out at night and surprisingly, they don't munch on our vegetables. I mean, we put up the fences just, you know, on the cases, you know, around the corn stuff, but, you know, the interaction with the deer and then across the way is a small farmer and he has a a herd of goats. And so, you know, that, that constant sound of the farm always being around, it's, it's soothing rather than annoying. I have an image of what the farm looks like because I've been there. I mean, I, I try to get there often. And I know that there's all the places where you've got the land that you're cultivating and you've got partners you do that with. But mm-hmm. off to the side, there's like people or critters who live there as part of the farm. So can you tell us about the apiary? Oh, those... <laughs> Oh, we we fully we fully have engaged those. Those are members. We count them on the parochial report. Oh, Sixty thousand strong. <laughs> no, yeah, on, on the west side there, yeah, our apiary. We have seven hives um, that where we again we bring the community in. It's another way that we teach people about the care of creation. Because what started us on that apiary path was in 2012, 2013, we experienced severe drought. We had to hand pollinate our crops, and so we decided we would venture into the honeybee uh, area to help pollinating with our crops. And so um, actually at my ordination, um, Bishop Kate Wainick, who was the Bishop of the diocese at the time, um, she saw something up on our bulletin board said apiary coming next spring of 2015. And she's like, what's that? And so we talked to her and said, well, you know, we're thinking, you know, for the gardens next year, we're going to have some honeybees. And she goes, that's your call. That's your mission. That's what you need to be about. You need to teach people about the honeybees. It's like, well, you know, we just really want to do this for the gardens. Don't she goes, no, this is this is important. And so it really set us down that path. And um, you know, we have seven hives now. Um, we're expanding our apiary in 2022, and it is a a great place to be. And you know, our hives are you know a little more technologically advanced. We have them all instrumented, and so we can monitor, you know is the weight of the height increasing so we can you know tell you know what's going on is the queen still there you know you look at it in the middle of winter when it's 10 below outside and the temperature inside the hive is only 60 or 70 degrees the queen's probably not there anymore because during the winter they will keep they will move in a circular motion to keep her warm around 90 92 degrees so when you look at that infrared imagery you can see if the queen is still there wow that's fascinating (laughs) i love that it must nothing be noticed, it's, though. <laughs> like I was going to say, nothing in seminary prepared me for learning about honeybees. There was no class as, <laughs> about that. <laughs> you think they want to be one, though. I mean, honestly, I just think there's so many ways in which it's so relevant. Um, <laughs> and I just have this, for, for those of you who don't know Christopher so well, like there, he has the ability to, I think, even pull up on his phone, like the video or the, oh, the yeah. data that tells us or tells you like what is happening and what the temp, what's, what are the conditions? Can you talk about that a little bit? Just yeah. um, geeky, I love it. Yeah, so we upload all of our data, all of our hives are instrumented, are instrumented with um, sensors and weight sensors and temperature sensors inside of them. 
And so all of our data gets uploaded to a site called beekeeping.io. And if you search for St. Peter's Apiary, you'll find our data and you'll see the different hives um, that are there. It's, you know, we have our own solar powered cell tower that's in the apiary, which helps keep the data being transmitted to uh, the website constantly. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know, some of our partner uh, commercial beekeepers in the area, they go to look at our hives. It's like, hey, have you been, have you looked at your website yet? Because we, we noticed that, you know, the Kate hive or the Jennifer hive, you know, it's really ramping up or, you know, it's ramping down. What do you think is going on there? And it's like, well, you know, um, we can tell, you know, if, if, if the weight of the hive is rapidly decreasing, could be, you know, yellow jackets have infested it and are robbing the hive of, of a ton, especially this time of year in uh, October, as we've just harvested honey for the year. So yellow jackets will try to go in there and steal the, the stores that the honeybees have built up for winter. But yeah, everything's instrumented. Um, the technology aspect of it um, is very important because people can see that data real time. They can understand. They may not want to venture into the hive. They may not want to get suited up, but they can then become part of what it is. And they can ask questions just based on looking at that data. Well, well I'm, I'm grateful to Bishop Kate for really identifying that as a, a vocation for you and the, the congregation, because I feel like it's really had a great effect um, for the broader community in, in so many ways. And just as an aside, y'all, did you notice that Christopher talked about the Kate hive and the Jennifer hive? One of the blessings of being bishop of this diocese is having a, a hive named after you, which I just love that. I love that. So well, yes, there were always I mean, there will always be a Kate Hive because Kate Bishop Kate oh, was the first one, and then Bishop Jennifer as the the first bishop to succeed succeed a woman bishop will always have a Hive. And our other five Hives, I mean, they're the Rebecca, Rachel, Sarah, um, Martha, and Mary Hives. They're all named for for biblical women, and so we keep that theme going. Love it, love it. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things I. I gotten to do is to be able to um, enjoy some of the honey. And I remember doing a retreat for the women of the diocese where I made communion bread made out of local flour, eggs from a parishioner from the cathedral, honey from from the apiary. And so um, just, just bringing that nourishment back out through Eucharist into our bodies and souls has been great. So can you tell us, Christopher, about, you know, like beekeeping is, <laughs> I'm just thinking about like this, like, you're a priest and pastor, and how does beekeeping, what did you learn from doing that, um, that, that relevates, that's relevant to your ministry? You know, how do you connect those two? So what I, what I love about the, bee, the honeybees and, and that apiary ministry we have is there's a specific life cycle to the bee. You know, on days one through seven, the bees are going to do a certain thing. Then they'll venture out on day eight or nine and they'll be out going foraging for the next, you know, two or three weeks. And then, you know, the last part, you know, day 30, day 31, they'll, they'll move to another task. And so that life cycle, especially during the summer is about 45 days. Now in the winter, it's a little longer because they're not going out of the hive. But what I like about it is because it reinforces to me, I can't do everything. And so I have a specific purpose here. And so I, I'm not, not going to try to be what some other church down the road is doing. I know what our calling is here. We have a call to care for creation and be good stewards of this eight acres of land. And so going out there and just watching the bees go in and out, one of the things we have around our honeybees, which um, for those of you may not 
if you've been to hives, you may not see this, but our particular hives are enclosed in a in a um, apiary with a fence around it. So it's a 12 foot by 24 foot uh, fence with um, it's, it's slatted in the middle and the fence is six and a half foot high. So the honeybee comes out of the hive. It then goes up to that elevation of six and a half feet and it flies right above there and it stays at that elevation until it gets to its food source. And so what it allows you to do is walk right up to it and see the bees coming in and out of the hive and not really worry about getting stung. But where I was going with this is I love because I can just stand there and watch and the bees go in and they go out and they're doing their task. They're not trying to bring back the most pollen or, you know, bring back, you know, be the top one. They're just doing what they are to advance the cause of keeping the hive successful and growing. And, you know, that's what I kind of see as my role here at St. Peter's is, you know, I'm not trying to bring all the new flashy programs or try to do everything. It's, this is a way we can connect with our communities, care creation, be people and engage in conversation with them. And, you know, that's what I'm called to do. Yeah, that's great. You know, first of all, I just want to say that Brian Sellers Peterson is a very selfless man because the fact that he let us talk to you about bees and him not be here, you know, he's one of our other co-hosts and and he loves bees. So I just want to give a shout out to Brian that he is showing his true Christian love to let us be the ones to talk about bees. Uh, But you know what I was thinking about when you were talking about the, they have their certain task and they have you know, their life cycle and they have specific tasks throughout the life cycle. It really made me think about our liturgical calendar, um, which I know we do repeat, you know, thankfully Mm -hmm. it doesn't, (laughs) we don't only have 45 days. Um, We have a lifetime, but how with that calendar, there are specific tasks and specific teachings we're supposed to lean into and um, things we're supposed to think about and pray on. And right now we're in um, what a lot of people call ordinary time, you know, what our prayer book calls the season after Pentecost, which I'd like to take up with the the prayer book revision people. Um, But that's another podcast episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, ordinary time, which is, I think it's what you're talking about. Like we just have to do the things that are ours to do. Right. And Uh I always say ordinary time is like paying the mortgage. Like it's the, it's just the, it's the paying the mortgage. It's the doing the laundry. It's those things that you just keep doing over and over. It's not as flashy as Easter. Right. It's Uh um, those sorts of things. But then there are these other times where we need to stop and, and lament. And if we never lament or if we never celebrate, right. If we get stuck also in, just one section um, that there's also something that we lose there. And so I just thank you for bringing that rhythm and, and doing that work. Um, How have you found, you know, having caring for creation, we happen to live on eight acres. So I know, I know exactly how much land you have, right? (laughs) You can hear my roosters in the background. Um, Has, has the, the seasons of the, the, the bees and the land, you know, it has to, I'm sure you guys are not planting things in January, or maybe you are put, I mean, I, you know, cause you're in a much colder climate than I am. Um, and so has, has the rhythm of the garden and the bees affected the rhythm of your church life as well? Um, or what have you learned from that? The, you know, that, that, yeah, just, is, do you see any, similarities between that and the liturgical year is there anything else that's risen up out of that has that affected your the pace of life within your within st peter's i think that's an excellent question jerusalem because 
when we are active in the gardens, when it is the planting time. And, you know, if you're here, it's, it's late April, early May, you know, they say you never plant before Mother's Day. And actually two years ago, we had a hard freeze of like 20 degree weather in the middle of May. So, you know, when we start that time and into June and July, and when we get into the, 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 the peak of it in, let's say, August, and we're really harvesting, you know, beans are plenty, you know, tomatoes are, are going out the crazy. Um, that's, we have the most volunteers. And so we're very outwardly focused at that point. You know, we're giving away food to St. Joe's, the, the Catholic church, their food pantry, the first and third uh, Saturdays of the month, Shalom House, which prepares meals for those that are going without in our community. You know, our, even with our partnership with the Black Independent Growers out of Indianapolis, we're sending food to those food deserts on the Near East side of Indianapolis where grocery stores have been abandoned, things like that. So I find that, you know, when all the activity of the bees and, and the crops are growing, our activity out into the community is at its highest. And just like the bees that went this time of year, you know, when it gets below 45, they're not coming out of the hive. They're, they've, they're making the preparations, you know, sealing up the hive, any cracks, you know, to insulate that for winter. We'll close the opening at the front of the hive so they don't go out. Um, so that, you know, predators won't get in and attack them, but they're really taking care of themselves. And that's what I see, you know, also within our community now, you know, we're back into, you know, the middle of October, um, faith formation is ramping up. So we as a congregation, we're taking care of ourselves, just like the bees are taking care of themselves to prepare us for next season. And so that rhythm continues and repeats. I love that. I love the idea of a church also leaning into a rhythm that they don't have to be all things all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Thank well, you. I mean, that's the thing. Whenever we decided what we were going to do um, with this community garden program, Growing Common Ground Farm, it was like, we looked at what, what are the needs in our community? You know, we can't address, we can't address the drug issues or the, the opioid epi epidemics in our community. Um, we can't, you know, do a lot of these things, but what we can do is we can grow food and, and we can partner, you know, we're, we're a small congregation, about 30 on a Sunday, but we can partner with others and developing those partnerships is again, been what I've been about my almost eight years now. Well, and I, I, I understand that it's all the cycles of the food. And so mm -hmm. I remember one of the early campaigns that you were creating Harvest House, mm -hmm. that right, to be able to yep. teach kids how to plant, prepare and preserve food yeah. and have um, been able to taste some of the delights out of the preserving aspect of it. Some, <laughs> tomatoes six months after the harvest that have been sort of freeze uh, sort of dried and um, preserved vacuum sealed but I want to talk about the food piece a bit because like again you've, you're growing delicious ingredients teaching kids how to use it but for you Christopher can you tell us about the dish or the meal that makes you sigh with comfort you know like what is the food that is like even now the the dish that you just makes your soul happy yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it is every February we have an Italian night dinner and everything that we make is grown on our property. The pasta sauce, the tomatoes, everything comes from that. And when, when I taste that, it, I mean, you can't buy anything better than that in the store. You know, even some of the finest restaurants here in Indianapolis, I don't think you can find a better pasta sauce than what we grow. I'd say the same thing about our honey. I mean, you can go to the store and buy honey, but 
I, I think ours is by far superior. And, and I think a lot of it is way, what we do. Everything's organic. We don't add chemicals. We, we, we use no-till farming. We, we, we let the soil regenerate itself, um, things like that. So for me, my favorite food is our pasta dish and that pasta sauce in, in February. And I'm looking forward to it. And it's right before Lent, so I can indulge in it. That sounds amazing. And, you know, I could drop a hint and say that I can come and do a visitation in February. You just need to, you know, <laughs> I can make an official work, visit. <laughs> I'll work with Janet on that. <laughs> okay. Janet makes all things happen on my schedule, but that just sounds so fabulous. And the whole community gets to enjoy that incredible feast. I love it. Well, you know, and, and, the, and the food part, Bishop Jennifer, you know, I've talked to you about this too. With our Harvest House Community Center at St. Peter's, you know, that was started. We took what was the old church, an old building that wasn't being used through a grant we received from the Indianapolis Center for Congregations and um, matching grant from the Diocese of Indianapolis. We were able to repurpose that space and turn it into a commercial teaching kitchen where we bring kids during the summer. We teach them because what we found is that our neighboring elementary school, 75, 80 of those kids were going to the gas station down the road to get their supper at night. They didn't know what to do with a carrot or a cucumber. And so we bring them in. We have our junior master gardener camps in the summer. We teach them, this is how you can use this to cook. And this is how you can preserve, you know, what we grow in the garden. We, we teach them about, you know, freeze drying and things like that and how to keep food preserved for a longer time. And so that's another thing. When I see the kids and they're out there or they're in the classroom um, learning and they're excited to, you know, they make a poster or something they tell and they, you know, I get on the last day of camp, I get to walk in and they present their learnings for that week. And I get to hear these kids are creative and they just need that little, you know, they're the little seeds that just need the nurturing because who knows what kind of great things they can do. So that's what I'm, you know, again, I'm proud of the, that work that Harvest House does at St. Peter's. That's wonderful. We're proud of you and all that. <laughs> Bishop Jennifer is just really, um, Cool that she gets to have <laughs> theaters in her diocese. And, and I'll just say, I mean, you know, I think one of the biggest blessings we happened to be at a food con, which was on Monument Circle, which is right outside our cathedral in downtown Indianapolis. And we were next to these this booth, and we started up a conversation. And you know, they told us, hey, you know, yeah, we're located at 38th and Sherman on the east side of Indianapolis. You know, we have a half acre of land. Um, you know, so we engage a conversation. And that was the beginning of our partnership with the Indiana Black Independent Growers. They're like, you know, we will drive 20 miles to your church and they do it three times a week and they bring volunteers because where they're located, yes, they're out of space for land, but it's in the middle of, you know, gunshots and, you know, murders and, and crime like that. They come up there for the quiet too. But that partnership, I mean, has has really accelerated our program. They have a half acre of land that they farm and they, you know, grow probably about 3000 pounds of food on their own that they didn't take back to Indianapolis. And they have taught us, it's been a mutual benefit relationship. Um, it will enter into its third year next year. Um, you know, the, the people that are involved in that um, are just, just amazing assets. And we're just, you know, lucky to, that we've bumped into them at the right time and, you know, that we've been able to work with them and walk along with them. I love that. And so 
you've mentioned so many great different projects and I know you've been at this a while. You didn't just start all of this last year, right? It's been several <laughs> right. years of learning and, um, and, and figuring things out. I'm sure, um, you know, there's this story and I can't remember who told me this, but they were talking about a lot. One of the things we like to make sure we talk about is contextualization, you know, asset-based community development, working, you know, with what they, what's the community, what's rising up out of the community, which is what in relationships, which is what you've talked about. And uh, there was someone who told me once about how they tried to grow corn. They were going to do a community garden for corn because they wanted to feed primarily like unsheltered people. And then they realized that a corn's hard to grow in certain places, but also if you don't have any teeth, corn's particularly hard to eat. Um, And so, and it's just like well-intentioned, but missing the mark on you know, thinking through some things, some logistical things, um, and some, and just, again, those relational things. So what, you know, we like to make sure that we give our, our listeners some resources if they want to begin this work or discerning this work. So what are some resources, some tips you just had to give, you know, one or two things to read or listen or people to talk to, um, you know, what, yeah, what resources would you give our listeners if they were like, oh, I, I think I'm really interested in beginning this really creation care, um, food justice work, um, you know, whether it's bees or cooking kitchens or, or, right. or just a garden? Yeah, I would say, you know, most counties around this country, there is a local extension agent, make contact with them, find out what the needs are. Find out what the needs, talk to your school superintendent or the the person in charge of your school corporation local. They're going to give you insights that you don't know about or about the the community, the children that are there. I would say, you know, again, when you're talking with your county extension agent, you know, learn about regenerative agriculture, no-till farming, what, what benefits do cover crops have? You know, don't try to reinvent the wheel and to reach out to other you know, look for other congregations or other people that are doing this similar type of work. Because again, we didn't invent this overnight. And, you know, as we've become involved um, with this work, we found more and more partners. And again, with our Black independent growers, I mean, they've taught us about, you know, the benefits of hilling crops, you know, where we had not done that before. And so now we've implemented that into our practices. So I, I think that, you know, here in the Episcopal Church, you know, we would like to have a care of creation network in every province. I happen to be in province five and uh, province five and province four, we have joined together for a very strong care of creation network. So, you know, I go to those calls, you know, every month. Um, and again, being bivocational, I'm supposed to be half time. And this is where Bishop Jennifer needs to maybe tune out, but you know, I make time for that because it's important to the work that we do. Um, it's part of my ministry. And again, I'm not going to know everything, but I'm, I always learn something from what somebody else is doing, or I get some new insights. So continually be learning. Well, well, it's clear that it, it is such a call. Like, you know, when the call is right, because everything just kind of clicks and continues to be generative in this way. And so I've just loved hearing and sharing your story as you tell it with with the broader church and others who are listening in. So thank you so much for being with us today, Christopher. Thank you, Bishop Jennifer. Thank you, Jerusalem. 
Well, can you believe that just about wraps up our fourth episode of Spade Spoon Soul. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us hanging out most days on the Agrarian Ministries of the Episcopal Church Facebook page. Or if you want to drop us a note, please do so by sending us an email to spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our wonderful producer, Derek Weston, Ryan Lee, our groovy musician for our theme song, the multi-talented Jay Sidebotham, who did our art, and to the Good News Gardens Initiative of the Episcopal Church, who is our first sponsor. You can find a link with more info on St. Peter's Church and several of the resources that Christopher uh, mentioned in our show notes. All right, friends, until next time, we hope that you will find a way to connect your soul to your spade or your spoon or both. Be well. Ah!